psychological lesson there, um, which is probably like the best thing you're going to hear all morning. So we should probably just pray and go home. Um, that's important to know. Righteousness, God's righteousness, um, and that's that's um, we get that um, through Jesus Christ. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping that that will that part of this will stick as we kind of talk about um, the flip side of self righteousness this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, um, Job chapter one is where we're going to start. We are in week number two. Um, of a series called Don't Miss This. And I told you last week um, that that really has nothing to do with anything. Um, it's just kind of how we're kicking off the year. Honestly, if I, if I told you or if you kind of backed me in the corner and said, no, you need to come up with a description of what this series is about, I would tell you that these are some important, some important things that you really need to listen, listen, listen to to kick off the new year. See what I did there? You got that? Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. That's, <laughs> that's good that you don't know what that means. Anyway, um, we said last week that our goal, um, sort of our vision, what we're kind of shooting for in 2021, is to let people um, understand our why. Um, what is the why of Central Church? And we like to say um, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, or when it happened, um, you are welcome here, and we believe that you can meet Jesus here, and Jesus in his time changes you. And so in other words, you are our why. We're all about Jesus and God and bringing glory to God through everything that we do and expanding his kingdom, but, but that means that we are going to be intentional about you here in the seats, you watching online, and everybody outside of these walls, um, because we want as many people as possible to know about Jesus. And we said that we need to work together to be a place um, where the, the, the unchurched and the de-churched love to attend. And, and I told you, um, as I've told you before, that, that we need to take some time um, to really look at ourselves and our relationships because we're living, um, we're living in a different culture. And, and the culture that we live in today, um, especially in the church culture, speaks a different language than, than has been spoken um, throughout the years. And, and we constantly, we don't need to change the message, per se, because Jesus is, is still on the throne, and it's still Jesus who does all of the changing. Um, but sometimes we need to change um, the way that we present it and, and how we go about doing church. And so if we want to reach our communities and the world for Jesus, then we're going to have to learn how to adjust um, our language and adjust our posture, because statistics show um, that people are walking away from church in record numbers. And it's not necessarily because um, the it's not necessarily because people have a problem with Jesus. Um, it's not really necessarily that people have a problem with the church in general. It's because people have a problem with people in the church. And we should consider that a problem, yes or no? Yes. And so we should do everything possible in order to fix that. And here's the good news. We can do something about that. And so at Central, we're going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Everybody say whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, short of sin, to see that people in our communities are reached for Jesus. Everybody cool with that? Sweet. So today, we're going to talk about, in regards to relationships, um, what it looks like to be a real friend to people in need. Because I'd be willing to bet that we all know people who say that they're our friends, but they actually turn out to be more like frenemies. You know what I'm talking about? Like a combination between friends and and enemies. Um, l l let me let me sort of set this message up like this. Uh, we did a funeral here this week, and um, um, there were a lot of um, a lot of people involved. There was a lot of law enforcement involved, like the the entire sheriff's department. I think was here, um, firefighters, um, EMTs, and, and and it was just um, th they were involved, and it was just it was cool to have them to be a part of it. Now, um, the reason I say that is because it caused me like any time 
Anytime I see a person like a, like a sheriff's deputy, um, a, a police officer, um, a fireman, EMT, um, whatever, um, I try my best. I don't always do this, um, but I really try to just stop and, and say a prayer for that person in, internally. All right, I don't, I don't have like the super boldness of running up to them and grabbing them. Let me pray for you. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that. Um, but I always like to, to pray for them because, um, because they have a difficult time. They're like frontline workers, and they step into um, a lot of tough situations. Um, within that group of people, um, EMTs have always had sort of a, a special place for me. Um, and the main reason is because I've been in um, several serious wrecks, and um, they're the group of people that I'm the most familiar with. Thank God I'm not super familiar with the police and the sheriffs, right? And I'm not starting fires, and so I don't know those guys a lot. Um, here, here's the thing that has always stood out to me about EMTs. EMTs never know the situation that they're going into, right? Like, they never know if they're getting a call to go to somebody's house because somebody called them because they have, like, a, a paper cut. Or, or if they're, like, walking into the most horrific situation imaginable. And here's the thing. I happen to know a couple EMTs, and I'll tell you, they don't do it for the money. I mean, they're not, like, making bank. They do it, like the reason they do it is because something's compelling them to do it. And I believe it's because they have a love for people, especially for helping people, even people, don't miss this, even people that they don't know. And so anyway, one of my early experiences with EMTs is I was in this terrible car accident in high school. I wrapped a Yugo around a tree. How many of you even know what a Yugo is? This car is imported from Yugoslavia. Right there you should know it's a problem. All right, there's lots of cars you could wrap around a tree. Um, a Yugo is not one of them, and, and it was bad. And I remember, um, and I won't go into details of all the things that they had to do and all the things that happened there, um, but as they were literally cutting me out of the car, they weren't yelling at me. They weren't screaming at me. They weren't, how could you let this happen? I can't believe that you did that. They, they, weren't, they weren't giving me lectures on driving safety. They weren't telling me, you know, the roads are slick and you've got to be careful. As they're literally holding my eye in place with their thumb, they're not screaming at me about speeding and telling me I'm incompetent behind the wheel. No, 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 no. They didn't show up and operate out of a lecture mentality. They showed up and operated out of love, and they did whatever it took to essentially save my life. Now, you say, okay, Ryan, that's, that's a great story, but what does that have to do with Jesus and the Bible and the church? everything has everything to do with it listen when it comes to reaching our communities when it comes to reaching the world for jesus i believe unfortunately that that as christians we're known more for our lectures than our love would you agree with that statement yeah we're not known as the emts we're known as the professors who want to give bible history lessons and say you shouldn't do that you need to quit that you need to stop that you shouldn't be doing that the bible says and, and you know what listen to me I get it. All of that might be true. But at the end of the day, Jesus said that the world would know that we belong to him by the way we what? Love one another. Not by the way we lecture one another, but by the way we love one another. And and one of my fears is that in the church, that self-righteousness, because self-righteousness, that's what usually causes people to want to lecture other people over and over and over again because we think we're better or because we think we know more. We think we're right and they're wrong. And I believe that self, self-righteousness will sabotage our influence in the world. I, I really do. And, and I get the argument because I've had people push back and say, but here's the deal, Ryan. I'm right and they're wrong. I'm right and they're wrong. Maybe. Maybe that's true. 
Maybe you are right and they're wrong. But have you ever heard the statement, you can win the argument and lose the relationship? You ever heard that? You can win the argument? Listen, that's one of the truest parenting statements I have ever been told. You can win the argument and lose the relationship. Now, that's another message for another time. But listen, that's not just true for parenting. That's true for us trying to be an influence in the world for Jesus as well. We can win the argument and lose the relationship. And so at the end of the day, what are we going to be known for? What are we going to be known for? Are we going to be known as people who have a self-righteous attitude that position ourselves as better than other people? Or are we going to be known as somebody who loves people? Now, to really see this, we're going to talk about a guy named Job. Um, We're going to be in Job, several scriptures in Job. But we're going to start in Job 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible background, you've likely heard about Job before. Um, But maybe you've never heard or maybe you've never looked into this aspect of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says this. There was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless. Everybody say blameless. That's going to be important. We're going to come back to that over and over and over again. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Now, I want to just pause because I was thinking about this the other day while I was working on this message. If they were going to write a book about you, like if they're going to write the book of Wade, or they're going to write the book of Sherry, or they were going to write the book of, you just fill in your name, what would be the first sentence that was written about you? Like, what would they say about you? Like, like what would it say? If they're writing a book about you, what would it say? I would tell you, if they were writing the book of Ryan, um, they would say, there once was a man named Ryan who lived in Carroll, who was a complete idiot, and every once in a while got something right. Like, seriously. Because I'm not blameless. I'm not. I've been blamed for some stuff. Sometimes it's not true. Sometimes it's true. They would not say that he feared God and stayed away from evil. Because as much as I fear God, because I do, much as I fear God, I think it would say he feared God, but sometimes, every once in a while, he, he just tried to see how close he could get to evil without crossing the line. Right? right? Any, anybody else there? Right here, reading what the Bible says about Job, you're going to have to agree that Job is a good person. Because the very first thing the Bible wants us to know about Job is that dude is a good person. And then the next few verses talk about how he's blessed. He's got some camels, he's got some animals, he's got all of this land, he's got all these riches, like dude is loaded. And then the Bible tells us he has ten kids. Ten, now I'm not sure if that's blessed or not. Like I got two, sometimes like you see all this gray right here, that's from two. But ten, right, he's got ten kids. He's got all of this stuff, and then in verse six, as things start to get weird. Um, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. The accuser, Satan, so anytime you feel accused or accusation, that's, that's where it comes from, all right? Um, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that is going on. Uh, for me, this would be like a really good opening to a scary movie, all right? I don't go to scary movies, but I just envision that right there. I've been patrolling, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant, Job. Now hold up for a second. What happens after this conversation causes me to think, I hope God never looks at the devil and says, have you considered my servant Ryan? Which I know I'm not even in the category. I don't really have a whole lot to worry about. But he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
Now, now pay attention to what God says about Job. It says he is blameless. Go back to verse 1. What's the first thing that verse 1 says about Job? He's what? Blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God, stays away from evil. And so what God says in Job chapter 1, verse 8, is the same thing the writer of Job says in Job chapter 1, verse 1. This is really important for later on. We have to understand, the Bible's setting this up, that Job is legitimately a good guy. The writer of the book of Job and God say the very same thing about him. Complete integrity. In other words, this guy isn't shady. There, there's, there's nothing secret going on behind the scenes. This is the guy that you want to work for. This is the guy that, that you want to work for you. This is the guy that you want your daughter to marry. Heck, this is the guy you want to marry. This is a super, super, super good guy. But then after all of that happens, all hell breaks loose in Job's life. Satan says, yeah, he's good. He's blameless and he's doing all this stuff, but that's because you bless him. If you take away all of his stuff, he won't worship you like that. Take away all of his stuff and he will curse you. And God says, okay, take it away. I'll show you. And so then we see in the next several verses, everything falls apart. He loses his possessions. He loses his land. He, he goes essentially completely bankrupt. And then an event happens where all 10 of his kids are killed at the exact same time. I, I can't even imagine what that's like. I feel bad when one of my kids get hurt. Yesterday, um, in a wrestling tournament, Jaira kind of did some stuff to his ribs and he had to wrestle the last time and his, his arm, his shoulder wouldn't go. And it was, it, it, was, it was crazy. And I'm just like, man, you shouldn't even be out there. I'm, like, I'm just like heartbroken. I can't imagine the pain of actually losing a child. Pain and, I mean, they're totally two different things. And to lose 10 kids at the same time, 10 at the same time, that pain would be seemingly unbearable, yes or no? Yes. Now, I have to point that out because the pain that he would be experiencing right here is important. And we're going to come back to that later on. So Job, good guy, loses all of his stuff, all 10 of his kids. And then at the end of chapter 1, verse 21, Job says this. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. I pray someday I'm this godly. Like, honestly. Because, again, I don't think that this is being written about me. Everything is lost. Everything is gone. In the midst of that, praise the name of the Lord. It gets, it gets better. Verse 22. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Like, are you kidding me? And In, in no way, shape, form, or fashion did he say, God, how could you do this to me? I can't believe you did this to me, God. Everything I've done for you, and this is what you do for me? Like, seriously? I mean, through all of this, he hasn't turned his back on God. When you look at this, you can't help but say, that is an incredible guy. That is a godly individual. That is a man full of integrity and reverent fear of God. Here is a man who is righteous. Now, it goes on. And some things happen because of losing all that stuff wasn't bad enough. In chapter 2, Satan and God get back together again. And the conversation strikes back up. And God says, God says, look, I told you. Took everything away from him. And he's still my boy. He didn't turn his back on me. Everything is still great. And Satan says, well, yeah, but that's because he still has his health. Here's the deal, God. You, you, you have him healthy. You take away his health, he's going to curse you. 
You take him so he's not healthy anymore, he'll turn his back on you, which is true of most men, right? When we get sick, we're babies, right? Women are tough, but men, you get the sniffles, and we're in bed for like three days. I'm, I'm just hypothetically speaking, I've heard about that. I don't know if that's true. I heard my wife say that maybe once or twice. Anyway, anyway, he gets, he gets, God says, God says, okay, you, you do what you want to do to him. You just can't kill him. Do anything you want. Inflict anything on him. You just can't kill him. So Satan inflicts Job, and he gets super, super, super sick. He's so sick that his wife looks at him and says, dude, just curse God and die. Like, you, that's bad, right? Like, that's as bad as it can get. When your spouse looks at you and says, just hurry up and curse God so that you can die. Like, that is bad. You would think that this is the worst thing possible. But then his frenemies show up. Now, at first it seems okay, but I want to show you why I call these guys frenemies. All right, check this out. Bible says this in chapter 2, verse 11. When three of Job's friends heard of this tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Now, now this right here at first seems good because, let me say this, don't miss this. Sometimes when everything falls apart, it's good for other people to show up and just be around you. Like, they don't even have to talk. Sometimes that's super important. They don't even just talk. They just, they just need to be there. I remember a few years ago, um, this, is, this is when I was still living in Indiana. Um, I went through a difficult time. And I had a friend call me. And he's like, hey, man, um, I know what's happening right now sucks, but what can I do for you? And I'm like, honestly? He said, yeah, man, what, what, what can we do? And I said, hey, how about you just get so-and-so and so-and-so and so together, and um, we just get some food, and we just, we just sort of hang out. And he said, done. And when we got together, we didn't talk about the situation. And we didn't badmouth the other people that were involved in the situation. And we didn't say that nobody said, hey, Ryan, you're right and they're wrong. Or, hey, Ryan, you're wrong and they're right. And they didn't toss out a bunch of Christian phrases and tell me how to biblically go through it. Like, like we didn't do any of that. Like, I just wanted to be around some people and not feel alone. And, and they saw that. They recognized that. They stepped into that. Sometimes when we go through tough times, that's what we need. Sometimes we just need people around us who are willing to stay with us and help us to not feel alone. And so what's happening right here on the surface is a good thing. However, things begin to go a little bit south. The Bible continues. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. Now, now verse 12 is not really encouraging if you're Job. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. I'm going to go ahead and let you know, I'm going to need you to know, like, if I'm going through some stuff, I'm going to need you to keep it together, all right? I'm not going to need you to see me and just freak out and start ripping your clothes, getting naked, throwing dust in the air, all right? That, that's not what I need, but that's how they should. That might make me laugh a little bit. I don't know. No, don't try it. No, let's, let's, not, even, let's not even do it. I promise I won't do that for you. You don't do that for me. Deal? Sound good? But that's the way, for whatever reason, they showed their grief. And then verse 13, look at this. And, and again, on the surface, this is cool. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Sometimes, and, and all of us hopefully, we've got some people, um, we've got some people that when we go through hell on earth, they'll just sit with us. They don't, they don't have to talk. Again, we don't need to throw out Christian phrases like, well, God uses all things together for good, brother. Like, sometimes I don't need to hear that, right? 
Like, like sometimes in, in the midst of tragedy, like I don't need to hear that stuff. Sometimes we can just sit and we can drink some coffee and talk about normal things or not say anything at all. And we definitely don't need to get in and bash the situation. We don't need to get in and we don't need to talk bad about people and we don't need to turn things negative. Sometimes we just need to just sit and just be normal with each other. This right here. It's such a blessing to Job that after about seven days, he begins to feel a little bit of freedom, and he speaks out. And he's just, he's just honest. The, the problem here is he thinks he's with a group of people that he can be honest with, and he just goes off. And, and I'm telling you, you got to be careful with the type of people that you surround yourself with. All right? There's probably another message within that for another time, because watch what happens. The Bible says this in, in verse um, 1 of chapter 3. At last Job spoke. And he cursed the day of his birth. You ever been there? I'm mad. Oh, I'm so mad. I'm just, oh. Like, I, I, I've been mad before. I don't know if I've ever been mad enough to curse the day of, of your, my birth. Like, you're cursing the day of your birth. That's officially mad, yes or no? Yes. He, he, said, he said, let the day of my birth be erased. And the night that I was conceived, like, like right here, Job is feeling absolutely hurt. I wish my mom and daddy never would have even got together. Like, I mean, that's, that's what he's saying, right? He is absolutely feeling this pain, and he thinks he's with a group of people, again, with whom he can vent. Now, I want to show you why it's important to have the right people around us and why we need to make sure that we're being the right people to those around us. Job is going off, but then his friends get this self-righteous attitude. And I want to point out three things that self-righteousness does that's incredibly destructive. And these are things we have to watch for, not just in other people, but in ourselves as well. Number one, self-righteousness points a finger rather than lending a hand. Self-righteousness always points a finger rather than lending a hand. Go back to the EMT illustration for a moment. Again, when tragedy strikes, they aren't yelling, you shouldn't do this, you need to stop this. In, in, in that moment, they're doing everything to help, even though my, most likely they don't even know the person. At the end of the day, we have to be like that. We have to be known as someone who, instead of pointing a finger, we actually just lend a hand. The reason I bring this up is because I told you we'd come back to this. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, um, Job Job is, the writer of Job says that Job is awesome. And then God affirms the very same thing in, in verse 8 of chapter 1. And right here, Job begins to vent about how unfair life is. And, and one of his friends, watch this, one of his friends starts arguing with him. It says this, chapter 4, verse 6. Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? Like, I mean, this, this sounds good, right? This sounds like, hey, I'm going to give you some good advice. Stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? And then he says this. My experience shows, anytime somebody says that, you should just run. Just, just telling you. My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. In other words, don't miss this. His friend is going, hey, Job, the reason you're going through this is because there's some sin in your life. Like, there's some bad stuff that you're doing. You're not doing all these good things. Job, you're a bad person because bad things happen to bad people. Now, now just a thought. E even if that was true, this wasn't ne what he needed to hear in the moment, right? No. The, the, the worst part is, is he's saying, like, what we're saying, is, like, we know it's not true. 
because we already established in chapter 1, um, verse 1, it says he's blameless. In chapter 8, of, of, or chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, it says that he is blameless, right? So, so it's not even true what he's saying. But then this dude just doesn't let up. He just keeps on going. He says later on, because he had kept going, that was chapter 4. In chapter 5, he's still ranting. Verse 6, but evil does not spring from the soil, and trouble does not sprout from the earth. People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. And In other words, he's saying, Job, you and your wickedness has something to do with everything that you went through. And we know that that's not true, right? It, that is not true. He has no idea what's really going on, but he wants to begin to throw blame, and he wants to be able to say, hey, it's got to be you. You had to have done something. It has to be this. It has to be that. So many times, I'll chuckle a little bit because somebody in here is going to get mad at this illustration. His initials is Jeff Helmkamp. Love you, buddy. Mean it. So many times, Christians believe that God has called us to wear a referee jersey and put on a whistle and step in and call foul on everything that we see. When at the end of the day, and I've said this before, nobody goes to the gift shop after the game and buys a referee jersey and a whistle. As a matter of fact, we walk out of there angry at the referees. We say things to the referees that cause athletic directors to send us emails and tell us to keep our mouths shut because you weren't happy about some calls at a wrestling tournament, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> now, I always get, I always get, but referees are necessary. That's why you have no friends. I'm just, <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> at the end of the day, I believe with all my heart, instead of saying, this is what you've done, this is what you've done, you did this, you caused this, we should be saying, hey, how can I help, right? Should, shouldn't we be that? Shouldn't we be those people? How can I help people? How can I help? Somebody has an addiction problem, instead of saying, you're an addict, can't believe you do that. Let's say, how can I help? Somebody's pregnant and they're not married, instead of saying, you should have done that, I can't believe that you did that. Aren't you smarter than that? How about we start saying, how can I help? How can I help? Somebody down on their luck, maybe spending money they don't have, doing stupid things. How can I help? How can I help? How about we be those people? How about we be how can I help people instead of I can't believe you do that, people. See, some people are going to say, well, that's enabling, Ryan. No, it's not enabling. That's meeting them exactly where Jesus would meet them. That's the first thing we need to know about self-righteousness. Second thing we see about self-righteousness is that it always lacks compassion. Always. It always lacks compassion. Now, I want to ask you a question. Now, keep in mind during this question where you're at, whether you're watching online or, or not, like in, or you're here in the building, you're in church on a Sunday, and Jesus is watching. So you've got to be honest, all right? Has there ever been a time in your life, and I'm not saying you've done this, but has there ever been a time in your life, at least once, where you've wanted to punch somebody in the face? Hey, raise your hand. Anybody? Look around. A lot of violent people at Central today. <laughs> all of us have experienced that, right? All of us would say that there have been times when we just want to throat punch somebody because of what they said or what they did. The self-righteous people, they love to do that too, but they do it spiritually. They won't physically ball up their fists and punch you in the face, but what they'll say is, I'm speaking the truth in love. You ever, ever heard that? Just speaking the truth in love. Just speaking the truth in love. 
You ever? I won't ask you if you've ever said that, but, but have you ever heard it? You know what I've noticed about speaking the truth in love is that oftentimes it's not true, and there's seldom any love. Truth in love, speaking the truth in love, is nothing more than an excuse for a self-righteous person to say what they want to say and mask it as Christ-like when it's really just satanic. Self-righteousness always, 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 always lacks compassion. Now, the very first time that I ever read what I'm about to read you, I couldn't believe it was in the Bible. And, and the reason I couldn't believe it in the Bible, because, like, think back to a second. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says, Job was what? Blameless, man full of integrity, a good dude, right? Chapter 1, verse 8, God says, Job is blameless, a good guy, fears God, stays away from evil. All of a sudden, his friends show up because of this tragedy, all these tragedies that had happened. One of the tragedies that we mentioned earlier was that all of his kids had been killed. And anybody remember how many kids he had? Ten. Ten kids killed at the same time. And one of his friends says this to him in chapter 8, verse 4. Your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. Can you imagine this? I can't imagine letting this dude live. Can you? Your children must have sinned against him. Like, I'm killing this dude on the spot. Because if you're, you're asking this guy, like, dude, what are, what are you doing? Are you, how can you say that? I'm just speaking the truth in love, brother. I'm just speaking the truth in love. When, when in actuality, this guy had no clue what God was doing, did he? He had absolutely no idea what was going on, but he felt like he needed to say something. And listen, listen, listen. Sometimes, don't miss this. Do not miss this. Sometimes the best thing that we can do when somebody's going through a tough time is just keep our flipping mouth shut. Somebody should have amen that. It's too late now. You missed the moment. <laughs> I love you guys. Sometimes, though, seriously, the best thing we can do to make somebody feel better is just give them a hug and just say, man, I'm, I'm here if you need me. I don't know. I can't imagine the pain you're going through. I can't identify with what you're doing. But, man, I, I'm just here, and that's it. This guy in the story, like this right here, this is not being like Jesus. Basically, this is telling somebody, hey, you got what you deserve, when at the end of the day, none of us want what we deserve. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, all all of us, every single one of us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, it says the wages of sin are death. All of us, you know what we deserve? Eternal punishment in a place called hell. None of us want what we deserve. Thank God for grace. Gets even worse. It goes on to say this, and he's, Job, for whatever reason, doesn't take this guy out. Like, I would have just clocked him, and that would have been the end of it. But this dude just keeps on talking. And he says this in verse 5, but if you pray to God and seek favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, stop. Job's already living with integrity, right? He's already pure. The Bible already says dude is blameless. Like, that's not what I said about him. That's what God said about him. But see, a lot of times self-righteousness causes us to completely misjudge somebody because they're not living up to our standards. You, you ever seen that? You, you get that? You understand that? Like, we misjudge somebody because they're not living up to what we think they ought to be doing. So Job, Job, if you'll just have some integrity. Are you, are you kidding me? If you'll just have some integrity? If, you're, if you are pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. Happy home? 
happy home. My kids are dead. My wife wants me to die. Happy home? Dude, you're clueless about what's going on in my life. Restore your happy home. And though you started with little, you will end with much. This guy right here is unbelievable. He goes on saying some more stupid things. But self-righteousness always, 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 always lacks compassion. And they disguise it as, I'm speaking the truth in love. Which leads to number three. Self-righteousness delights in false humility. It really does. Let me show you what I mean here. Watch what another one of Job's friends say. And I want to show you why this sounds so good. But so very wrong. Watch what he says. This is, <laughs> I guess in a way, this is horribly great. I don't, I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but that's sort of how I see it. Verse 25, um, chapter 25, verse 1. Then Bildad the Shuite replied, God is powerful and dreadful. Dreadful? What the heck? He's not dreadful, but anyway, that's what he says. Um, he enforces peace in the heavens. Who is able to count his heavenly army? Doesn't his light shine on all the earth? Yep, it does, right? Does light shine on all the earth? How can a mortal be innocent of God? He can't. He can't. There's no possible way. Can anyone be born of a woman be pure? Nope. God is more glorious than the moon. He shines brighter than the stars. In comparison, people are maggots. We mortals are mere worms. Don't you want that verse on a coffee cup? Because you need to be reminded, hey, who are you? I'm a maggot and a worm. And Jesus, now let's get that put on our next T-shirt order. How about that? Central Church, maggots. Like, I don't <laughs> You know what? P- people, people do this. They, they do, and they, they, and they get like this. And, and, and the reason, don't miss this, is because there are people, self-righteous people, who think that they have to minimize themselves in order to maximize God. And let me tell you something. God does not need us to maximize him. He doesn't need us to, to minimize ourselves because God is God whether we think we're awesome or not, right? Jesus, Jesus introduced this brand new idea that, that had never been thought of before. He said that we could actually call God our father, that he's not just some distant deity, that he's not just some general in the sky who's barking out orders. He said we could, we could call God father. That, that we could treat God like, like, like our daddy, like we could, just, we could just cuddle up in his lap and just talk to him and just, just, just father. So with that in mind, l- let's just say um, Chloe's my daughter. So let's, let's say my daughter Chloe, let's say she came in front of me today and she said, Daddy, <laughs> I'm nothing more than a maggot and a worm. I would stop that talk immediately, as I should, right, because I'm her I'm her daddy, right? I would say, no, 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 you're not. You're my child. You're my baby. I love you. You're my sweetheart. You're my angel. You're so special. You're so awesome. You are absolutely incredible. And for those of you who might be watching online or you might be in here right now that think that, oh, I'm nothing more than a maggot or a worm. If you belong to Jesus, that's not who you are. You are created in the image of God. You are forgiven. You are unconditionally loved. You are accepted. He paid a high price for you. There is nothing about you that God, when he looks at you, says, you're a maggot or you're a worm. When God looks at you, he says, that is my child with whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, period. This week, um, I, I heard a, I was listening to some messages, and I, I heard a pastor say this phrase, and I hear this a lot. Every time I do it, always bother me. I, I heard this guy say, well, you know, you know, we disappoint God. 
there's so many times that we disappoint God. How in the world can you disappoint God when he knew everything about you before he even created you, and he created you anyway? How? If you could disappoint God, that means you could surprise God. If you can surprise God, that means he didn't know something about you. And if there's something that he didn't know about you, then that means he's not omniscient. And if he's not omniscient, that means he's not God. You can never disappoint God. You've disappointed self-righteous people, but you cannot disappoint God. God finally stops in and steps in in this thing in, in, in Job chapter 42, and he deals with Job. Like, Job had some issues. I don't have time to get into all that this morning, um, so maybe we'll make that another message another time. But he says this in verse 7. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve. In other words, you self-righteous people, I'm going to get what you, what you deserve. I, I just, I don't know. I love that part. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. God showed up and rebuked them. At the, end of the, at the end of Job, everybody always talks about the rebuke of Job and how Job went on to say, oh, and my Redeemer lives and all of these things. And the, talks about how Job or how God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first because of the way he rebuked him and all these things. But, but I, and, I, and I think that's super important. I think that's, that's huge. But I think we also miss one of the more important rebukes. It's when he rebuked the self-righteous attitude of Job's frenemies. And so... To close this thing out, I think there are two things um, that we really have to see in this the message, two things we need to deal with. And th- these are like two prayers, if you will. Um, these are things I've been praying for myself um, that are really helping me, uh, and I hope they help you as well. The first thing we have to pray is, Lord, help me see the self-righteousness that's in me. Help me see the self-righteousness that's in me. Because we all struggle with that from time to time, don't we? I mean, don't we, if we're, if we're honest today, don't we all deal with self-righteousness? Help me see, God, the self-righteousness in me. I think every single one of us struggles with this in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And because of that, like, like because we all struggle with sin in some way, let me say it like that. Because we all struggle with sin, none of us have the right to look down our noses at anyone around us. Would you agree? Now, we have the responsibility to help, to step alongside when somebody has fallen. We have the responsibility to help, but not condemn. We have to identify, every one of us, the self-righteousness inside of us. Because, listen, self-righteousness, if, if 2021 is going to be our year of URRY, and we're going to create an environment that the unchurched and the de-churched want to attend and love to attend, and if we all want to continue to be a part of something amazing where God is moving, we have to get the self-righteousness out of us because self-righteousness will cripple the church. It will. It'll cripple the church because only in the church can the person who's a beast look at the person who's a homosexual and say, you got a problem. You don't belong here. I'm just throwing that out for some controversy this week. And by the way, I'm going to preach on that in a couple of weeks. That same exact thing right there. And so our prayer needs to be, Jesus, identify the self-righteousness in me. Help me identify the self-righteousness 
in me. Because at the end of the day, I want that out of me. I do. I want that out of me. And I know, if you're being honest with you, that you want it out of you as well. Which leads to the second prayer. Jesus, heal the hurt, the self-righteousness, or the self-righteous have inflicted on me. Jesus, heal the hurt that the self-righteous people have inflicted on me. All of us have been hurt by self-righteous people. All of us. There's not a single exception. All of us have been hurt by self-righteous people. And and listen, listen, listen. If you were to get up here and, and you were to tell your story, I'm sure it would be absolutely heartbreaking. But... Just because self-righteous people have caused you pain, don't walk away from the church. And don't walk away from God because of what some of his crazy, stupid kids have said or done to you. At the end of the day, Jesus said that the world would know that we're Christians by the way that we love one another. Not by the way we lecture each other, not by the way we scream at each other, but by the way we love one another. And so we need to pray, Jesus, heal the hurt that the self-righteous have inflicted on me. That's the thing, because at the end of the day, we want to be known as people who extend a hand, right? Not as people who point a finger. And listen, I know the excuse. I know, I know, I know all of them, and I know the big one, right? I can't extend a hand because I'm hurt. You know what? You can. You can. You know how I know you can? Because Jesus did. Jesus, as he was being crucified, prayed for the forgiveness of the people doing the crucifying. And and I'm pretty sure that that includes the people that have hurt me and the people that have hurt you. I'm not saying it's easy. (laughs) Trust me, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's the right thing to do. So listen, I believe the church should be known as EMTs that are willing to step into any situation and do whatever it takes to help the people who are involved rather than being professors who lecture about the situation. That, that is being a true friend. Let's pray.